Do you find yourself seeking perfection? And do you procrastinate because you can't quite make it there? Or maybe it even paralyzes you and prevents you from doing anything. Welcome to episode 219 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Barbara, Alba, Susan, and Maureen. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Barbara, Alba, Susan, and Maureen, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I have a reading from the book Courage to Change. This is from March 16th. Progress can be hard to recognize, especially if our expectations are unrealistically high. If we expect our negative attitudes or unhealthy behavior to change quickly and completely, we are likely to be disappointed. Progress is hard to see when we measure ourselves against idealized standards. Perhaps it would be better to compare our present circumstances only to where we had been in the past. For example, a fourth-step inventory led me to realize that I hold grudges and that they hurt me. I try to let go of resentments, and I despair when these attitudes persist. Fortunately, Al-Anon has taught me to focus on progress, not perfection. Although sometimes I still hold on to resentments, I know I'm making progress because I don't do it as often as I used to or for as long a time. Today, I am no longer seeking perfection. The only thing that matters is the direction in which I'm moving. Our listener, Jen, suggested this topic a while ago, actually. She called it the three P's, perfection, procrastination, and paralysis. I really liked it because I do those things. Uh, I seek perfection. I procrastinate partly when I can't achieve that perfection. And sometimes I'm paralyzed because I can't figure out how to make the result of something perfect. I can't figure out how to do something perfectly. The three P's for me do belong together because sort of the one leads to the next. My perfectionism leads me to procrastinate and or to paralysis of being unable to move. And so the question that that I I don't even really need to ask because it's it's so obvious is how I have experienced perfectionism in my life, looking at the first P. I always want to do things perfectly. There's no question about that. I mean, you know, why why not do it perfectly? Well, why not is because it's really hard to achieve perfection. And so if I want to do it perfectly, I wanna I wanna make the perfect podcast episode. And I know that what I've done so far in preparing for the for the episode is not going to make a perfect episode. And so I put off recording it until I can make it better, until I can make it perfect. My job is as a software developer, leading a team of developers to accomplish a goal in typically some period of time. And as software developers, our tendency, our inclination is to try to make the perfect solution. We want to solve each problem perfectly and for all time, right? We can spend an amazing amount of time analyzing what it is we need to do without ever actually creating something. And this this is common enough that we have this term of analysis paralysis, which means I'm just analyzing and analyzing and analyzing and analyzing and analyzing, and I'm not 
actually creating anything. I experienced that in a big way in the summer of 1978 when I was working at a summer job, which was designing a payroll system. And we spent at least a couple of months of the summer, of which there you know, basically three months in the summer between end of school and start of the next year. We spent at least two of those three months doing analysis, writing up very, very, very detailed requirements uh, down to the down to the penny because you know somebody's paid a particular salary, but it gets divided up into I don't know twenty six or fifty two increments depending if they're paid weekly or biweekly. Very often doesn't divide evenly, and so there had to be this fancy logic to account for the the extra pennies or the missing pennies to, so that at the end of the year, the person's salary would add up to exactly what they were supposed to have been paid and so on. And that's just one example of, of the things. And we had this whole book full of, of carefully detailed requirements and we hadn't written any code. And then it's like, oh my God, the summer's almost over. This job's almost over. We haven't accomplished the goal. I have to sit down and start writing some code. And it didn't get done. I had to hand it off to somebody else in the company at the end of the summer when I had to go back to school. It just didn't get done. Looking back at it, that's a perfect example of this reach for perfection, making it so we didn't even get somewhere. We didn't. And I have no idea whether the company ended up using any of the code that I actually wrote because it was a little bit twisted and and complex. And I knew what I was doing. At least I thought I knew what I was doing. I was, you know, only in my second year after, after graduating college. But it wasn't clear to me that the person who was taking it over really understood what I was trying to do. So they might have even thrown it all away and started over. I don't know. That was my first sort of real world example. I mean, plenty of plenty of examples of, of procrastination on writing a paper or something because I didn't have the perfect opening paragraph. You know, what I've learned now is actually it's better to write like the middle part of the paper and then usually the opening paragraph and the conclusion write themselves. But I didn't understand that then. Wanting it to be perfect prevented me from actually getting started. And moving on to procrastination, some of the procrastination comes from the desire for things to be perfect, but some of it just comes from, I don't know, being lazy, not wanting to do an unpleasant task, uh, not wanting to do something that I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. It might turn out bad. It might turn out good. And so if I put it off, at least it won't turn out bad. I procrastinate on a lot of things. I still do. And the way in which I procrastinate is typically to, no, there's two ways in which I procrastinate, actually. One is to to do some kind of mindless activity, uh, playing a game on my phone, maybe reading a book's not exactly mindless, uh, watching a show on Netflix or something like that, instead of actually sitting down and doing the work, maybe sitting down and starting to write the script for a podcast episode. The other way in which I procrastinate is finding other things to do that seem urgent at the time so that I don't work on the big important thing that I actually need to be working on. Procrastination has been a part of my life, again, for for a very long time, a very long time. This is something that I had to look at when I was doing step six, which is we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. When I was working it from this book we have called Paths to Recovery, sometimes called the Tan Book, I heard it called the Beige Book also, in one of the readings of, for step six in that book, a person talks about the six P's, going from three P's to six P's. All right. I found a, a blog posting on a blog titled Cleaning Out the Old Toolbox about these six P's. And I'm going to, to read what 
what was written in that blog post. Perspective. The first P is perspective. Think of defects of character as survival skills that no longer serve me. Since my higher power wants more for me than mere survival, I can let them go and trust that I will develop healthy behaviors and thinking. Pain. Whenever the pain of staying the same hurts more than the pain of change, then that's the time when I'll be ready. Prayer. My part is to pray for openness and willingness. God's part is to do the removing. Patience. God gets to choose when and how fast he will remove my defects of character. Process. Quite possibly, this is a grief process of denial, anger, bargaining, and depression. Payoff. The bottom line, what am I getting out of holding on to some of these defects of character? What is still good about it? So those six Ps helped me look at my procrastination. I don't know if it's it's a survival skill. It probably is a survival skill because it helped me to put off painful things until either they passed, it was too late to do anything about them, or sometimes there was more pain involved because then I had to rush to do a, a slapdash job instead of doing something that I could actually be proud of. Looking at that as something that, that helped me in the past, but is standing in the way of progress, is standing in the way of something that's more than mere survival, as, as the blog writer put it. Pain. I get to experience the pain of procrastination when I put something off and then have to rush to get it done, or I put something off and, and something good doesn't happen as a result. I recently entered a, uh, a drawing for some prizes, and when the email saying, hey, you won, pick from the following list came, I put it off because I just was I, I wasn't ready to make a choice. Like there were several things on that list that I would have liked and I didn't know which one to choose. So I put it off. I procrastinated. The pain was that in that email, in something that I hadn't read in detail when I, when I saw the email, it said, if you don't respond in 24 hours, I'll strike you from the list and send this offer to somebody else. When I finally sat down to respond, then I read it more carefully and I was like, oh, oh well, I get nothing. So in my desire to pick the perfect outcome, I got nothing because I procrastinated because I didn't know what was perfect. So that was the pain. Okay. I didn't get any of the, any of the, the things that I could have picked one of. And, and I would have been happy actually probably with any of them. So that was, that was just like, well, okay, pain still there. Prayer. I not so good at that, but praying for the willingness to let go of this thing that still has some payoff for me, which we'll get to the payoff. Patience. Yeah, it's not going to go away instantly, or maybe it is. My reading of that is that I will get all of the opportunities I need to practice the new behavior and to feel the pain of not practicing the new behavior, of practicing the old behavior until I'm finally there, something like that. This is a process, and, and letting go of old comforting habits, old comforting behaviors, uh, there may be some grieving there. I don't get to procrastinate anymore. Ah, why not? I hadn't thought of it as grief, but yeah. And the payoff. So what am I getting from the behavior? Because if I understand what I'm getting from the behavior, what is the payoff of this behavior? What is the payoff of procrastination? Well, one of the payoffs of procrastination is I don't have to do this thing right now. And if I put it off long enough, I won't have to do it. I'm procrastinating on returning a library book because I haven't finished reading it, but I also haven't renewed it because I feel like I should finish reading it. And if I don't renew it and the fine keeps piling up, that'll motivate me to finish reading it. But I haven't done that. If you follow that long chain there. The pain is, it's going to have a hefty fine on it. I'm not sure what the payoff is. I think what it is, is, is it's a 
sort of emotionally difficult book. It's just a fiction book. It's a fantasy book, but the way the situations that the characters in the book are getting into and the sort of the way in which their lives are being screwed up. And I know it's all going to come out well in the end, but it's kind of painful to read, but it's also like, I don't want to take it back because I want to know what happens. Yeah. So I guess the payoff is in, I want to pick the time when I'm going to read and it's not right now, but I still want to read it. So what I should do, of course, is renew the book because then the final stop piling up, but there's some emotional block to renewing the book. That's sort of like, well, I'm, I'm giving myself permission to, to continue to not read, even though I haven't been reading it. So, ah, here we are. Payoff and pain. So if I, if I use these six P's, it can help me to move out of, of that behavior. What tools of the program can help me to let go of my three P's of perfectionism, payoff, and paralysis? The first one that that comes to me is progress, not perfection, which is, I think, not officially one of the slogans, but it certainly is something that is said a lot in our literature and in our meetings. When I look at progress, I can see it, and I can see the positive effect. And when I look for perfection, I feel like failure. If I'm always looking for perfection, I feel like I'm not getting there. And why should I keep on working? Because I'm not getting to perfection. But if I look at progress, then that can motivate me to keep on going, to not procrastinate, to not be paralyzed. Another slogan is first things first. This can help me when I'm paralyzed, when I'm procrastinating, because I don't know, I don't know how to do like the whole project, whatever it is I'm trying to do. I don't know how to do the whole recovery, but maybe I do know what is the first thing for me to do? What's the next thing I need to do? That's the first thing that should come first. What's the next thing I need? I don't need to know how to do everything all at once. I just need to know what's the next step. And sometimes just taking that step, then I can see a little bit further ahead and then I can see what the next step is and so on. This is similar to a technique that we use now in our software development that helps us to avoid that analysis paralysis is instead of trying to figure out what, what the whole thing is perfectly, we build a small piece of it. And then we say, okay, this answers, this solves part of what we're trying to get to. Now what's the next piece that we can add on to solve a little bit more and a little bit more. And at some point, you know, you may never reach perfection, but you get to good enough. Okay. We've built We've built 95% of what we need to do. And the other 5% actually like doesn't matter or the other 5% can be worked around and fixed, dealt with manually because it's actually less work to deal with it manually than it is to make the program do it perfectly. So doing first things first, small steps, easy does it goes along with that and keep it simple. Okay. Don't try to pick up the whole thing at once. Don't try to move a pile of rocks by getting a great huge shovel that fits under the pile of rocks and, and picking, trying to pick it up and move that you can't do that, but you can take a smaller shovel, pick up a few rocks, move them, pick up a few more rocks, move them or one rock at a time with your hands or whatever it might be. I had a summer job. I think it was after my freshman year of college. I ended up on a trucking crew inside a factory complex. And I think it was the first week I was on the crew. We were detailed to unload a train car, box car, that was full of gypsum rock. And these rocks were maybe between one to three inches irregularly shaped, and they were just piled in the box car. Um, I think they had put up 
barriers so you could actually open the door of the boxcar without all the rocks flowing out and piled the rocks at the two ends of the boxcar. Our job was to use shovels to move the rocks from the boxcar into cardboard drums that could then be put on pallets and wheeled into the factory. Apparently that it had been ordered in drums, but it came loose. So for a week, four of us shoveled rocks into drums for a week. And we got that whole boxcar emptied out. I think at the beginning of the week, when I looked at that, I thought, oh, we'll ne- this will never, <laughs> we'll never finish this. When we started, you know, it's a great huge pile of rocks and you take a little shovel full and you put it in a drum, you take a little shovel full and you put it in a drum. And the, the pile doesn't seem to get smaller. For a long time, the pile doesn't seem to get smaller, but it is getting smaller. And what we could see maybe the, not that the pile is getting smaller, but that the set of, of cardboard drums that we were filling was getting bigger. So we could see the progress there. And then eventually you start to see the pile getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And and then, wow, just a, a, a few rocks and a shovel and we're done. That is the way that I have to look at things that I am paralyzed by, that I want them to be perfect and, and that I procrastinate because of that. I need to look at them as a series of small steps. What's the next step? What's the next step? Do the first things first. Keep it simple. Easy does it. Those slogans can be really important to to move out of that procrastination and paralysis funk. How important is it? Which I often use the slogan, how important is it to say, is this something I really need to do? Is this a question I really need to ask? Is this a, a statement I really need to make? Or is it just going to piss somebody off for no really good reason? But the flip side of that, how important is it in this context is, okay, I've got three or four things I could do. How important are they relative to each other? Maybe once I've asked that question, then I can say, oh, this is the most important one. This is the one that I should pick up next. This is my first thing, my next right thing. So ask that question, how important is it? And in the end, let go and let God is, (laughs) let go and let God seems to be the answer to a lot of things that I can't make it perfect and I need to let go of, of that, at least let go. When I look at the steps, The steps in the middle are the ones that most clearly address the three Ps for me. In step four, the inventory, where I identify my character traits, where I identify that, yeah, I like things to be perfect, and yeah, I procrastinate, and yeah, sometimes that leads to paralysis. So I identify these things, and I'm honest about them in step five. I admit them to God, to myself, and to another human being, because I can't effectively ask for change until I identify what it is that I need to change and that I own it in all humility as something that I have, that I do. So step six is becoming ready. We talked about that a little bit earlier with the six Ps, becoming ready to let go of the things that are no longer helping me or the things that are actively harming my serenity, etc., my ability to get things done. And in step seven, I then ask for that help. And as I said, practice the new behavior. And for me, the way step seven has worked in my life, and and you've probably heard me say this before, if you're a long-term listener, for me, the way step seven works in my life is that when I ask for help and when my higher power responds, I get unblocked from new behavior where I had some mental spiritual block for uh, on new behavior, but I still have to practice that new behavior. And so that's part of step seven for me. Acceptance is huge here to combat perfectionism. 
I have to, I really, really have to accept that nothing that I do will be perfect, but that I can do things that are good enough. And that good enough is, hey, good enough. Was at a meeting at church today where we were talking about a decision that as a congregation we, we, we're, talk, we're thinking about making. And this decision has some outcomes that we don't really know what they all are. And some of the people in the meeting, from what they, the questions they were asking, the statements they were making, it felt like they really wanted to understand exactly what all the possibilities were, what the risks were, what the benefits were of this decision. They were asking, you know, a panel of the people who were sort of the experts about this thing, um, the promoters, I guess, of this this decision we're making. At least one of them said, look, sometimes we're, we, we can't be perfect. We don't know all the answers. This is a work in progress. And sometimes good enough is good enough. It's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Um, I have to accept that thing, that things won't be perfect, but they can be good enough. And that's what I want to work for is good enough, not perfection. And gratitude, gratitude for the progress in my life. Gratitude for the, the, the way that recovery has given me um, a way to do things differently. And gratitude for the capabilities that I do have, that I can do things that are good enough, even if they're not perfect. I think I procrastinate less than I used to. I think I'm more realistic about what I can do and when I can do it and how much I can do doesn't mean that I'm perfect about not procrastinating. Uh-huh. Um, I much, much less often find myself in paralysis than I used to. Paralysis, and particularly paralysis in search of perfection. So that's progress. Uh, and we had, we have some input from other listeners, and I'm going to share these with, without further comment. Tara wrote, Hi, Spencer. There is so much I want to say about how much your show has impacted my recovery and how far I've come in just the short month of listening to your podcast. I've never heard of the three P's until you said it was an upcoming episode. The three P's, perfection, procrastination, and paralysis. And it's funny, because it was only in the last month that I realized I have a serious issue, and now I know it can be best summarized as the three P's. For perfection, I decide that any new task, project, self-improvement, aspiration, there are specific things that must be done each and every day. No fail, no excuses, no exceptions. So what do I do? Because I can't do it the right way, the perfect way, each and every day, without fail. I either give up after a few days, or I don't even try. Procrastination has affected me all my life. Paralysis. This has become a huge illness for me. It affects my job. It affects my personal life, like finances. It affects my relationships. So when I heard you talk about this three P's episode, I was blown away. I thought, that's me. That's what I do. He's talking about me. So I'm only a month or so into understanding this three P's issue, but I wanted to share what I'm doing so far to work on it. Slogans. Slogans are no longer trite and silly. I have these on a sticky note on my computer monitor. Progress, not perfection. I repeat this to myself a lot to keep me aware and to keep moving. First things first helps me to focus on one thing at a time. I do this when I'm overwhelmed by all the different tasks I need to do. Do the next right thing. This also helps me to focus on one thing at a time and helps me to try to pick the important thing, not necessarily the easy things. This is very hard, and often I still pick easy over important, but progress, not perfection. In addition to the slogans, the other things I'm doing is... Make a list and cross off everything after number three. Maria mentioned this on your show. I'm slowly learning to do this. It helps me come to terms with the tried and true fact of life. I am not going to get everything done today. There's so much more I want to say, but I've decided what I've said is enough for tonight. I don't need perfection. I just need to do enough for right now. The rest of Tara's note doesn't 
directly deal with the three Ps. So I will read the rest of that in the um, listener feedback section of the show later on. Michelle left us a voicemail. Hi, Spencer. This is Michelle from North Florida. Uh, I wanted to share on the topic of three Ps. One of my favorite tools for this is the Just for Today bookmark. I actually have several copies of it and try to keep in uh, various places throughout my house and in my car so I can look at that. But my favorite one that comes up with, you know, procrastination and paralysis and perfection is the first reading, which says, just for today, I'll try to live through this day only and not tackle all my problems at once. I can do something for 12 hours that would appall me if I felt like I had to keep it up for a lifetime. And I always think of that if I have to do something really difficult, uh, get through a difficult day or make a difficult phone call, then I'm really procrastinating or I'm worried about not doing it perfectly. You know, just for today, I can do that. I can do something for 12 hours that would appall me to do it for a lifetime. And that helps me remember that, you know, this isn't a permanent state, that I can get through this uncomfortable moment. I can take a faith-based action, and I have the tools for that. And uh, I'll just add kind of humorously, when my first sponsor gave me the Just for Today bookmark, I read through it and I said, oh, my gosh, there's no way I can do all of this every day. And I experienced an immediate paralysis about not being able to do it all perfectly. Um, and she kind of, you know, laughed with a good humor and said, no, 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 you know, these are just gentle suggestions. And, you know, maybe do try to do one a day. It's not about doing it all every day and doing it all perfectly. So even with those tools, I was trying to do it perfectly or not do it at all. So I appreciate the podcast and um, hope that uh, somebody might find my suggestions and my experience helpful. Have a wonderful day. Jen wrote, and I think this is the Jen who suggested the topic. She writes, I've been in Al-Anon for about four years. Before writing this, I took a moment to analyze how the three Ps manifest in my life. Thank you for giving us this topic. My realizations will help me going forward. Whenever I'm facing something new, I cycle through all three Ps. Stage one, procrastination. I used to think my procrastination was rooted in laziness and lack of discipline. I didn't realize fear was driving it. New things scare me. My sister joyfully jumps into anything new with excitement, so what is wrong with me? I feel guilty and ashamed and I cannot I feel guilty and ashamed I cannot handle new situations better. Now I realize I've been using procrastination as a coping tool. I start by rationalizing all the reasons why to delay. What's the rush? Is the payoff great enough? Does anyone really care if I do it? I start by adding it to my to-do list. This is painless but ineffective. As other tasks come and go, this one just sits on the list, nagging me every day. I berate myself for being such a weenie. I don't tell anyone about my fear because they will certainly judge me. This is a scary and lonely place to be. My anxiety will grow for days and sometimes weeks until finally, stage two, paralysis. I feel like I'm frozen in a piece of ice. I can't move, and even if I wanted to. When I become miserable enough, I move on to the next stage. This requires self-peps, talks, journaling, and reading Al-Anon literature. Stage three, perfectionism. I want to achieve raving success. This will stall me even longer. Why do I think I should be able to do something perfectly when I've never done it before? Where does this delusion come from? When I finally accomplish the task, I'm proud of myself for overcoming my fear. I often wonder why I made it so hard. It wasn't that difficult. God delivered people to me along the way to guide me through parts of it. He was there for me the whole time. Since I've been in Al-Anon, my timetable for the three Ps is faster. I dream of being free of fear someday. My sponsor said this will never happen. It is not realistic. I must learn to embrace my fear and grow through it. Dang it. This adulting business is hard work. P.S. You wouldn't believe how many times I rewrote this before sending it to you. I'm proud of myself, though. I jumped right over procrastination and paralysis and straight into perfectionism. Progress! 
Spencer, thank you for announcing the topic so that I could contribute. I love every podcast I've heard. You always bring new insights into my life. Take care, Jen. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. Our first musical selection, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 219, is The Exciters with their song, Tell Him. And the song is, is about, well, I'm just going to read the lyrics. I know something about love. You've got to want it bad. If that guy's got into your blood, go out and get him. If you want him to be the very heart of you, makes you want to breathe, here's the thing to do. Tell him that you're never going to leave him. Tell him that you're always going to love him. Tell him, tell him, tell him right now. Perfect procrastination song, right? Or anti-procrastination song, maybe. Here's this girl. She's in love with this guy, but she doesn't know how to like make it happen. And the song is saying, just go tell him. Tell him right now to stop procrastinating. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and in our lives in recovery. And it's been, I think, two or three weeks since I've done this section of the podcast because they've been busy. A couple weeks ago, I had back-to-back retreats. One was a work retreat. We flew to New York City. Seventy of us sat in a room and worked for a day and a half through discussing definition of an implementation of value statement for the company I work for. And that sort of sounds like it could be sort of deadly dull, but it wasn't. It was very well structured to elicit conversation and discussion. We were broken into small groups that sat together for the period of a day and a half. And the first day we all worked on common questions and then reported out to the group and had discussion. And the second day it was more broken up into each group got a different question and then, or assignment, or little bitty project, and then reported them back to the whole group. And it was really interesting, it was really enlightening, and, and came away with a really good feeling at the at the end of the meeting, to the extent that we think we're, we're going to have these kind of sorts of gatherings a couple times a year now. That's a good outcome, right? Because people were energized and excited by being there. I know I was. But it's also tiring. Travel is tiring. I got home Thursday night about, I think, 9 o'clock, And on Friday through Sunday, I was going to a retreat for, it's a men's retreat for my church and contemplating Thursday night unpacking that Friday morning, less than 12 hours later, I was going to be packing again, just made me tired. I mean, I was already tired, but that made me more tired. And so I used some of the tools that I've learned here, which in, in taking care of myself and in understanding, you know, what I needed and setting some boundaries. And the boundary that I set was, you know what, I want to sleep in my own bed. And luckily the retreat was only about 45 minutes away. So instead of packing up, driving down there, unpacking into a bunk in one of the cabins at the retreat center, I went, I participated, I came home, I slept, and I went back. And yeah, I had to get up a little early and I was getting home a little later because I had a 45-minute drive each way. But I felt more rested um, and less pressured. And I was really able to engage in the retreat, which was, was awesome. Uh, the theme of the retreat was centered around music, about how music enters into our lives, about how music can describe our lives, and just participating. Um, we had a wonderful session with our choir director who 
took the 30 or 40 guys who were at the retreat and just brought us together into an impromptu choir. And at the end of the hour or hour and a half, we all did a, you know, a little bit ragged and not, not perfect uh, version of the song, My Girl, which was just a whole lot of fun. It was a whole lot of fun. We had camp, you know, we had bonfires and singing and jokes and stuff too. It was a good time. At the end of the retreat, we have a tradition that three or four of the oldest guys in the, in the group are, asked to uh, to stand up and and give us a little bit of of their wisdom from from the perspective of you know their end of life and two of the two of the guys really had a message that felt so much like recovery to me i have no idea if they're in a recovery program or not one of them was suffering from a form of dementia that affected the way in which his brain processed what was coming from his eyes. And so he couldn't really understand what he was seeing anymore. His memory was still good. He, his verbal skills were good. His singing was still good, but he, he had trouble seeing what was around him, even though he wasn't blind. It just wasn't making sense to him anymore. Apparently one of the things that I saw throughout the retreat was, was other men just assisting him. And, and it wasn't like somebody was assigned to do it. It was just people would see that, he was being a little bit confused and somebody would step in and, and guide him to whatever it was he needed at the moment, whether it was you know, when he was having trouble eating because I guess he couldn't really see the food on his plate. I don't know exactly. Or he needed to find a door and couldn't identify it visually. It was just, it was very, it was very moving to, to see that sort of spontaneous helping going on. Anyway, he got up and, and, and spoke about, yeah, I've got this thing and it's, it sucks. And I could be really angry about this, but that doesn't, that doesn't help anything. Um, I need to practice accepting that this is what is and to understand that I'm not going to be the person that I was. I'm the person that I am now and to make the most of who I am now and what I can do now. And I was like, Oh my God. Wow. You know, acceptance is so, so strong. And just like he was, you know, he wasn't bitter. He was still enjoying his life, and that's awesome. And I have to remember that when I get to that point, because, you know, I probably will. I mean, not that exact same thing, but something will happen. Another guy got up, another one of our elders got up, and, and he spoke about holding lightly, that at at this stage in his life, he's down basically downsizing his life, moving into a smaller living space and letting go of things and, and holding on to what he has lightly, because... When you hold on to things in your life with a firm grip and they're being taken away, they're slipping away, you try to go with them. They pull you with them and they pull you away from you know, the life that, that you can have. And so there's a similar message, but expressed differently. And, and he talked about it in the context of Tai Chi, where he asked another man to stand up, a, a younger, stockier man to stand up and, and, and to grab his arm firmly. And then the, the, the elder gentleman you know, moved his arm. And because the other guy was holding on firmly, he got pulled along with the arm. He said, I, I, this somewhat frail older person can take this younger, stronger guy and I can pull him, maybe pull him and, and, and cause him to fall over. But if he holds on to me lightly and I try to, and I move my arm, then it just slips through his hand and, and he doesn't have to follow it. It was a nice visual demonstration. Yeah, I guess that was last weekend. Because of that, I had really no time. 
I came home and I slept for like four hours <laughs> Sunday afternoon, and I had no time to record a podcast episode. I hope you all enjoyed that open talk by Charlotte. I, I certainly did. So that's that's recovery working in my life, and it's not specifically recovery, but it is working in my life. My uh, my AWOL group continues to meet. We're working our way through step two, uh, exploring our understanding of higher power and spirituality and how we believe that, or don't believe, are working on uh, how that higher power might be able to help restore us to sanity. Tonight is uh, group conscience for my Sunday night meeting where we're going to continue the discussion about what we want to say about crosstalk because there continues to be um, a problem from certain members of the meeting uh, crosstalking and making other members of the meeting very uncomfortable. Upcoming topic includes courage. And the word courage appears in the serenity prayer from which the title of one of our daily meditation books was taken, The Courage to Change. How have you experienced courage in your recovery? Which steps or actions of the program required courage of you? Maybe it was just walking into a meeting. Maybe it was asking somebody to be a sponsor. And how has recovery given you the courage to change the things you can? We welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or your questions or your sharing. And you can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. You can call right now, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. We would love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of the three Ps or our upcoming topic of courage. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And our website, which is therecovery.show, has all the information about the show, including notes for each episode, links to the music that we talk about in the episodes, and a contact page that has uh, details of all the different ways to contact us, the phone number, the email address, etc. So if you only remember one thing, remember therecovery.show. We have everything there. If you want to direct a friend to the podcast, send them to therecovery.show. And there's also a page for subscribing. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, if you haven't subscribed yet, we'll take a short break before looking at our mailbag and our second musical selection also available on the website is a little less conversation by Elvis Presley. This is another procrastination song lyrics here, a little less conversation, a little more action, please. All this aggravation ain't satisfactioning me a little more bite and a little less bark, a little less fight and a little more spark. Come on, baby. I'm tired of talking. Grab your coat and let's start walking. Come on, come on. Don't procrastinate. Don't articulate. Girl, it's getting late, getting upset, waiting around. We talked recently about how we want to add a definition of crosstalk to the opening in, in one of my meetings, the Sunday night meeting. And Nanette sent a photo of a crosstalk definition. In this meeting, we do not crosstalk. Crosstalk can be defined as asking or answering questions, giving advice or criticizing a specific individual, or talking while someone is sharing. When others comment on what we say, we find it more difficult to express our true feelings, and the honesty, safety, and support this meeting is designed to provide becomes obscured. So in this meeting, we do not crosstalk. Sounds like this is a sign you could put on a table. Here's the rest of Tara's note. Because something huge happened this week. Amidst all the positive feedback you received about episode 203, Adult Children of Alcoholics, there was something said. I don't know what 
what it was that made me decide to listen to the episode. That was a few days ago. My world has since changed. I didn't grow up with alcoholism or drugs, but I did grow up in a very dysfunctional home, and there are many things I identify with. There are also things like burying feelings, emotions, and fears of abandonment that I don't identify with exactly, but I think some variation of these things are big issues for me. I just don't know how. So tomorrow morning, I'm going to my first ACA meeting. I don't know if it's the right place for me, but I suspect it is, and I don't know if I'm ready to open up the can of worms that is my past. But I want to know what it's all about. I want to know what's out there. I want validation that it is the right place for me, and that I have an opportunity to heal wounds I have abandoned or forgotten were there. Maybe I'm not ready to get the full experience, but then I think it took me until recently to be ready to formally work the 12 steps, and I've been in Al-Anon over two and a half years. So couldn't I benefit from attending ACA meetings until I get to the place where I'm ready to formally work through the ACA steps? I suspect that will be just fine. So thank you for your ACA conversation. Thank you, Emily and Spencer, for shining light on a road I didn't even know was there, on a journey I didn't even know I could take. And thank you for the upcoming conversation on the three Ps. I look forward to learning so much. Peace and Serenity, Tara from Minneapolis. Alba wrote a note in response to my open talk. Dear Spencer, I listened as usual to your most recent podcast, and I want to thank you for doing what you're doing every week, and I want to tell you how eager I am to look it up and go for a long walk in your company or your other host's company. You're helping so many people, and in my case, you're portable and can take you and the show with me during my trip home to Europe. My family of origin does not know of the relapse in my family and thinks everything is fine with my husband, and I have decided not to tell them because they are not in recovery and would not know how to support me. They would not understand. A few comments now on your story. I am living with active secret drinking in my home. I have learned not to shame him thanks to the program and not to manipulate him trying to get my outcome. Stop drinking. Can't you see how you make me suffer? And as you say, the despair does not last long now. I keep telling myself when he decides to get help, it will not have anything to do with me. Nothing I say or do will stop him from drinking. If he does not choose recovery for himself, the disease will always win. We are both powerless over alcohol and need help. Regarding my despair, when I despair, I start telling myself false stories. I tell myself there is no more love in him, and I feel so separate and so emotionally deprived that I am not willing to stay. The reality is that right now he is only hurting himself and not abusing me even by being critical. The rare times he does, I have learned to set boundaries. Speaking about despair and internal voice that are compassionate, God's grace, after crying and praying, I walked over to the mantelpiece of my fireplace where all my beloved dead pictures are, and the voice told me, This too is love, and it comforted me to know that we all love imperfectly, and so my parents, for instance, or his parents, were doing what they could with what they had, and everyone has a hard time expressing love. We do not all know how. I think that when we admit that we do not know how and say help, we are praying. The program teaches me to believe in the power of love as positive energy in my life, and I am willing and open to practice it in my daily behavior. I am well aware of my limitations, but by practicing new behaviors out of my love for him, at least I keep my serenity and peace and do not contribute to the suffering of the situation. Thank you, Spencer, for all you do, and I hope my sharing helps someone else despairing right now. We create hope by changing our present and build our future on peace and love. Alba. And thank you, Alba, for that. Jody commented, Thank God I stumbled upon your podcast six or so months ago. You have helped me off that crazy train that I call my life so many times. I'm still listening to past podcasts and find them so helpful. Although I have not attended a meeting yet, mostly out of fear as I live in a very small town, I am a bit closer than I was six months ago and just purchased several books to help me through the process. Progress, not perfection. Thank you for all you do, Spencer, past guests and future guests. Truly grateful. Jody. And thanks, Jody, for that note. And, you know, one of the things that happened when I walked into my first Al-Anon meeting was I recognized the person as being somebody who worked at my kid's school and I was thought, 
And my first thought was, oh no, she's going to know. And what I didn't understand then was that we were all there because we were all had been affected by somebody else's drinking, including the person that I was scared that she would recognize me. And so I just want you to maybe consider that thought that the people in the meeting are there because they have an alcoholic in their life that has affected them and that they will understand and that they won't judge you. Just just hold on to that and, and see if it helps. Emily left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Emily, and I have recently discovered your show, and I just want to thank you, Spencer. It's an amazing program and is very beneficial for me as I'm just getting into my journey with Al-Anon. One thing that has come to mind or a question or a topic that um, I think has been addressed in several podcasts, but I was wondering if you have a specific podcast number reference or maybe would be willing to talk about in the future on those of us who are adult children of alcoholics struggling with parenting. Um, one of the things that is uh, one of my defects and one of my biggest issues is cr- trying to control every outcome situation, even down to the behavior of my three-and-a-half-year-old son. And saying that out loud on this voicemail really sounds quite ridiculous, but it's it's my truth. It's what's happening. Control, unfortunately... I believe contributed to the dissolution of my marriage. By the way, uh, I was not married to an alcoholic. Um, that was one of my criteria for partners. Uh, in my attempt to control everything, I um, purposely did not date someone who had any resemblance to my alcoholic father. However, unfortunately, I'm just getting away and escaping the alcoholism and the dysfunction of my family of origin did not, quote-unquote, save me from the residual effects. And my own, my own process has just begun. I'm realizing that. Um, I'm realizing that now. So sorry for the rambling message, but I am very grateful for your show. And I'm hopeful that there may be a topic or a past podcast or a future subject on maybe not even adult children, but just um, parenting, you know, being being a parent, applying these principles. I guess it's kind of one of those in all our affairs kinds of things. But um, that's quite honestly my biggest struggle right now. I, I feel that I'm doing much better with accepting and letting go of the failure of my marriage rather than my my perceived failure. And I know that sounds so dramatic, but in my mind, that's, that's what it feels like. Thank you, Emily, for that. And it uh, sounds like you got hit by the Google Voice three-minute limit. But I think we got the message. You know, I had parenting on the topic list a long time ago, and we haven't done it. And we need to do it. And again, I'd like to reach out to you listening if you want to share your experience, positive or negative, with parenting in an alcoholic family, parenting as an adult child of an alcoholic, and how 
the recovery program has helped you to be a better parent. The things that you struggle with, the things, the behaviors that you've carried over or the things that you don't want to do because your parents did them, all of those would be wonderful shares to be part of one or more episodes on parenting. I think the other side of parenting that we also thought about and haven't done is being a parent of, well, we did one a long time ago. We did a parents round table. It was episode 22. But, you know, that was a long time ago. We could certainly do it again. Danielle emailed, Hi, Spencer. I've been listening to your podcast daily and I find it so helpful. I'm new to the program, though not new to working on myself. But the principles of Al-Anon are what I think I have been looking for most of my life. I haven't found the right sponsor yet, but your podcast is helping me start working through the steps and I cannot tell you how grateful I am for it. I wanted to donate and also needed books, so I went to the website and purchased my books that way. It didn't say anything about what portion would go back to your show, so that concerned me. How does it work? Once I get to know the program better, I will leave a voicemail and or contribute on your chosen topics. I love to share my experiences so that others will hopefully be inspired. At this point, I am only a month or two in, so I feel like it's not my time yet. Unless, of course, you wanted me to share about why I keep coming back or my story in general. Thanks again for all you do. I'll be listening. I have lots of past episodes to catch up on. Peace, Danielle. Thank you, Danielle. The amount that we get back from Amazon um, varies. It depends on how many people buy stuff in a given month. There's a percentage. And it, as I recall, I haven't actually looked at it in a while. It runs between about 3 to 6% of purchases during the month. That's what we get back, which helps. Every bit helps. Amy left us a voicemail. Hi, my name is Amy, and I just wanted to call and say thank you mostly. I started listening to um, this podcast probably about two weeks ago, and I went to my first Al-Anon meeting yesterday. I've been living with an alcoholic husband for the last 12 years, just hearing the podcast and... Honestly, when I found the podcast, I was just kind of looking around for something to help me with what I was going through. Um, I had never had any experience with Al-Anon, never really talked to anybody about what I was going through. And so when I first listened to the podcast, honestly, it was groundbreaking for me. Just the concept that that there was some hope and, and when I heard people talking about recovery, I I couldn't understand that there was a way for me to recover. I know that probably sounds pretty rudimentary to, you know, people that have been exposed to the program, but to me, what I thought was I married an alcoholic and that's it. That's all there is. My life, I screwed it up and now I just have to deal with it. Or just wait for it to end because it was all ruined now. And I just found so much hope in the information about recovering and moving forward and finding a way to accept and love yourself. So if I had never listened to this podcast, I would have never went to Al-Anon. And I, like I said, I went to my first meeting and when I left, I was crying and I think I was crying from relief, not from sadness, and I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm so looking forward to continuing to go to Al-Anon. So I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you, Amy, for, for sharing your experience, and I'm glad, I'm happy that we're able to help. That's why we're here. And a voicemail from Chastity. 
Hello, my name is Chastity, and I would like to know, did you do anything on children that have parents that are addicts? Um, I would just like to listen to some of your views and opinions and possibly experience experiences if you have, in fact, went through this yourself. Thank you. Thanks for the question, Chastity. I personally... Did not have parents that are alcoholics or addicts, but I'm sure that I'm sure that somebody listening has that experience and might be willing to share on it. We did do episode 203 uh, about the Adult Children of Alcoholics program, and also my interview with Bryn Black a while ago, um, who grew up with with an alcoholic parent and shared her experience in a song. That was uh, episode 200, Daddy's Medicine. I don't think we've done anything specifically about children of addicts. So if if you're listening and you'd like to share your experience, please do. Use the, the contact page on the website. Tap or click on the menu at the top of the page and, and the contact link to share your experience. Thank you. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses, which run a little over $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Barbara, Alba, Susan, and Maureen did. And thank you again, Barbara, Alba, Susan, and Maureen, for your generous contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. In fact, anything you order from Amazon after clicking on one of the links will help us. It costs you nothing extra and helps to keep us on the air. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to the recovery.show, or just listening to us. We are here for you. My last song selection here is the song Much Ado About Nothing by the, the group Forest. And again, you can listen to this at therecovery.show slash 219. And just read some lyrics here because this speaks to me of the desire for perfection, the way in which that desire leads to procrastination and maybe paralysis as well. Trying to write some poetry and getting nowhere fast. Thought I'd better try and write a song. Think I'll write a tune for it tomorrow afternoon, because maybe I can't stay awake that long. I want to say so much to you, but I don't know what to say. I hope you're understanding what I mean. for listening and please keep coming back whatever your problems there are those among us who have had them too if we did not talk about a problem you're facing today feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode my understanding love and peace growing you one day at a time